is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, patchy storms throughout western New South Wales have seen falls of up to 40 millimetres around Ivanhoe, while some areas have received nothing at all. Some grass is growing uh, pretty amazingly out there at the moment, they say. And also threats to the safety of merchant vessels travelling through the Red Sea. It's likely to cause delays to freight movements of exports out of Australia. All that and a whole lot more coming up. But first, let's find out what's happening with the weather. Neil Fraser's at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Yeah, hello, Michael. So we heard about those storms and quite a bit of rain uh, around the Ivanhoe, western New South Wales sort of area, I think. Uh, yeah, so they're uh, 40, mil, 40 mils at yeah. least in some of yeah. these parts. No, it, it's quite substantial, uh, some of the rainfalls, from, but it is from shower activity, so it's a bit hit and miss. And as you alluded to, yeah, some places didn't get anywhere near that. But it's, it's still very unstable across New South Wales. So expecting there's currently quite a lot of thunderstorm activity around the central tablelands, a little bit around the southern areas and then out in the northwest there. Expecting that to increase during the afternoon and potentially some severe thunderstorms. In fact, there is a, a severe thunderstorm warning out for heavy rain around the central tablelands at the moment. That's likely to increase during the afternoon. So expecting possibly even intense rainfall around the central tablelands, southern tablelands area. So it could lead to you know, rapid rises and so forth in the rivers. Fairly brief, but certainly very localised weather. But quite quite unstable, as I said. By tomorrow, it should contract to the northeast part of the state. So heavy, potentially severe thunderstorms up through there, mid-north coast, northern rivers, northern tablelands and northwest slopes and plains area. For the rest, it looks like still potentially one or two thunderstorms here and there, but not the amount of rainfall we're going to get uh, from today. And on the south coast, uh, one, two showers coming in the southeasterly. By the weekend, by Saturday, continuing showers in that northeast corner of the state and still possibly some showers and thunderstorms across the north and west, but it's really from Sunday onwards. And we can even mention the R word, rain. It looks like there's quite a, a deepening trough expected to start moving into the state from Sunday. So the western half of the state on Sunday, potentially rain with thunderstorms mixed in, but more extensive, so not um, scattered like the showers and thunderstorms, but a bit more extensive uh, rain band. That gradually makes its way further east on Monday and will include all the southeast, but uh, the northeast will remain out of that main rain band. Then it does weaken a little bit for Tuesday, but we'll continue moving east, so further rainfall into eastern parts of the state, including the northeast on Tuesday. So, all in all, a fairly wet, unsettled period coming up. Mm. And yeah, a little bit of a reprieve for much of the state Friday and Saturday, but as I said, it all comes back in on Sunday. And could be rainfall amounts each day, especially, well, Sunday, out in the, if you draw a line probably west of um, the central west plains, and uh, most of the Riverina and then the upper and lower western areas could be falls averaging 20 to 40, maybe 50 millimetres from that system coming in. And then that similar for Monday and it'll move further east, including yeah, all the southeast, Monero, south coast and all that area as well, and into the central tablelands by the Monday. So quite substantial rainfall coming with this system. Right. What's, any Any risk of flooding? Yes, well, there is, depending how much. It's a bit early to um, be sure of that, but certainly the, the thunderstorm activity is less of a problem because it's, yeah, it's more 
scattered and not um, widespread, but certainly Sunday and Monday potential is going to increase with more widespread rainfall occurring. So the reason for all this, uh, we've had uh, an incursion of tropical air from way up north right down into southeast Australia. So seeing that the moisture in the atmosphere is much higher than it normally is this time of year for the southeast of the country. So if you get these thunderstorms happening, there's a lot of moisture in the atmosphere to, to squeeze out and come down to the ground. Mm. So, I mean, it's 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 probably it's a mixed blessing, but certainly uh, the rainfall won't go astray in a lot of areas. Of the well, yeah, <laughs> we had had a pretty dry time of it during uh, yeah. during spring. The lead up to summer and spring was very dry. I think one of the driest ever. Yes. Mm. Yes, so it, it's, it's it can change. Now, so. It can change yeah. in summer, though, can't it? We can see these storms, and there's quite, quite oh, often yes. a, a feature of New South Wales, isn't it, over summer? Mm, that's mm. right. So mm. then, yeah, next week or so, fairly wet, but beyond that, um, it looks like you know, maybe January might remain um, fairly wet, but not to say that February, March will start to dry out again. So. Mm, all right. Well, uh, that seems to be the the long term trend anyway at the moment. Although that can change too, as we heard with the uh, the changes to the El Nino pattern and the three month um, uh, supposed to be hot and dry, but uh, that's not how it panned yeah, out. But these it's not a direct yeah the trouble is not a direct correlation, correlation. I understand. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's all the other factors as well. The Indian Ocean dipole and. Yeah, and you only need a couple of systems to come through to change the uh, to to change oh, the dynamic. Right. Yeah, mm. yes, especially like in summer. Butterfly effect. Yeah, mm. it's certainly. Yeah, it, well, from the fire point of view, it's, it's pretty welcome. I think yeah. mm. there's not too many fires happening. So, but earlier in the season, there are a lot of fires. So, it, it's good from that point of view too. Mm. All right, Neil. Thanks for that. Okay, thanks, Michael. Neil Fraser at the Bureau there. It's uh, coming up to uh, 19 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country. We're talking about the rain and those patchy storms throughout western New South Wales. They did see falls of up to 40 millimetres around Ivanhoe, while some areas received nothing at all. Rain in recent months has created a heavy grass load, and local farmer Clive Lennart says it's also making firefighting difficult during storm season with multiple grass fires in the area in recent days. And in the lead-up as well, he says... Despite the fires, the region is faring pretty well as graziers begin the new year. The area is going good, actually, but what's been our main concern over the last two or three months is these storms. Uh, a lot of lightning strikes and a lot of bushfires. There were several fires around yesterday, including one on our own property in heavy uh, creek country. There's a lot of growth there, but um, thanks to neighbours and the Ivanhoe Bushfire Brigade, we, we got it out, but... Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of growth around at present. Like here, a few months ago, we had people chasing adjustment from up north because it was pretty good around Ivanhoe, and last year was a pretty good year uh, seasonal-wise. No, things aren't too bad actually. Yeah, right. So a pretty heavy grass load still, which is lucky. But then the added complications with all those storms passing through the area. Yes, well, it is. There were storms yesterday. We got a bit of fire over the. A bit of rain over the fire that uh, we had, but um, uh, there was a lot of storms going around. But at one stage, we could see probably four or five lot different lots of smoke going up, and thankfully uh, the the rain put them out. But um, there was some dry storms, and uh, there is a, a pretty big fire still going now between uh, Ivanhoe and Mildura on a property in the heavy uh, Mallee country, and um, hopefully a bit of luck's in their favour and uh, nip it in the bud. 
Yeah, rightio. And how's the sort of rest of the year shaping up? Are you sort of good position uh, once we roll out of these summer months? Yeah, well, I, I reckon at this stage we'll probably get an odd, uh, odd storm uh, rain-wise through through the summer. But no, the Ivano district, we, we're going all right. I'll tell you, um, you know, we'll, we'll go into the autumn pretty well, and who knows what uh, comes from there. But uh, we had uh, we had floods here last year on our property. We had forty thousand acres underwater, but that's receding now, and uh, we've got a lot of feed through it. We've also got um, four lake beds which we uh, crop for organic. Uh, Matika rates for Woolworths, and um, but they, we won't be cropping them for another year or two, uh, probably ne- next year. But uh, otherwise, uh, everyone else, I think everyone's pretty happy. But I think the main thing is people would like to see the stock markets kick again. It's in the mm. doldrums, and um, it's a bit of a worry to everyone. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm 77 years of age, and I've lived here all my life, and uh, I wouldn't change the lifestyle at all. It's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> bit of a challenge here and there. Absolutely. And for people that aren't familiar with that country, sort of where you are around Ivanhoe, so the, the flood water's only just receding, is that what you've said? Yeah, it's, it's receded now, but we're south of Ivanhoe, and that's, well, Andrew Creek comes off the Lachlan upstream of Hilston, and, uh, yeah, it's it's receding, but it's, it's left, it's got a good feed, and uh, left a lot of fence repairs too, I can tell you. North of Ivanhoe is mainly... Uh, Timid country, spear grass country, but uh, you, get, you get a few dry storms around. There's enough fuel there to start a fire. Ivanhoe farmer Clive Linnett uh, speaking to our reporter Hugh Hogan and the country are actually broadcast from Clive's uh, station a number of years ago. It's uh, a quarter to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Let's turn our attention to the fish kill now. Locals near Lithgow say it's too early to tell what's caused this significant fish kill. The Lithgow City Council has closed Lake Wallace at Wallarawang after reports of a significant number of dead redfin. Now, redfin, also also known as European perch, they're an introduced pest in Australian waterways. Investigations are into the cause of the fish kill. Our ABC Central West reporter, Lani Oatway, is at Lake Wallace. That's right. I'm standing right on the lake, on the foreshore of Lake Wallace, which is at Wallarawang, which is just about 15 minutes north of Lithgow. Um, And I can see some people out on the pontoon fishing, would you believe? I had a chat with them and they said they weren't too worried, although they've had nothing bite so far. Along the shoreline, all across the lake, you can see dead redfin either belly up or their vacant eyes staring back at you. There's not as many today, I'm told, as what there were yesterday. I was actually speaking with a few campers um, who are from Lithgow, so they're locals and they've been coming here their whole life. They said they've never seen anything like this. It's a significant, what seems at this stage to just be the redfin species population that's had a significant kill. They said that they've been watching people kayak out and bring up whole plastic bags full of the dead fish. And there was one guy who was one of their neighbouring campers who pulled out about 50 just from the foreshore. I've also heard that a ranger came out yesterday and was getting rid of quite a lot of them. So what we can see at the moment, although we can see dozens along the foreshore line lapping up against the bank, there's not as many as what there were yesterday that we've seen. And we really don't know what's caused it yet, or we've got some idea but uh, no definitive answer. No definitive answer. There have been some suggestions that it might be a specific virus because it seems to have only affected the redfin species, but we're just not really sure about that yet. They've done tests 
the EPA has given the Lithgow City Council advice and the Department of Primary Industries has also been taking some samples as well. So we don't have an answer yet on what exactly has caused it, but we're hoping to get some of those clarities later on today or later next week. And it's near the Wallaralang um, plant there, so no suggestion. I think in the past there's been some um, metal leakage into the lake. No suggestion that that's the cause? No, not yet. And, I mean, Lake Wallace is in quite an interesting spot because it has uh, it has not only the old Wallarawang, um coal station, it also has the Mount Piper power station nearby and it's got a lot of coal mining that's further upstream, upstream in the Cox's River which flows into Lake Wallace. So there's quite a lot of runoff in those situations and in the Cox's River in particular, there's quite a bit of heavy metals that can be... Um, that can be tested for up there. However, there's been no indication whatsoever at this stage that any of that has anything to do with the fish killed here. And the EPA is investigating and uh, words going out, people they're actually pe- people are being advised not to fish and not to swim there. They are being advised that, yes, however, there are some people who will still go ahead with their recreational activities regardless. Uh, from my understanding, the EPA has helped give advice that they're not actually leading the investigation the DPI fisheries in particular that's leading it and council. So it's really those two bodies that are trying to work out what's happened. So, yeah, we just don't really have any answers as yet on what's caused it. Lani, thanks for that. Thank you. Central West reporter Lani Odeway at uh, Lake Wallace. It's 12 minutes to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, it looks like February will see a return to cattle under the hammer at the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange and Casino. As we heard on the Country Hour yesterday, the new operators of the sale yards, Outcross Agri Services, will take over on the 1st of the month, while agents are yet to sign contracts. The president of the Casino Auctioneers Association, Andrew Somerville, says it is looking positive. We're obviously a bit of an open book at this stage. We've we've had initial discussions with um, with Outcross and and Tom Newsom with what that'll look like going forwards. It's it's still in very early stages, but um, look at, at at this stage, I think it's all positive. So the the uh, balls are still in the air, but we'll see where they land. Have you seen a proposal from Outcross Agri Services yet? We've just had initial conversations so far, so. Once we get that proposal, obviously we'll we'll know where we're heading a bit more. And in those initial discussions, uh, are you happy with what's been offered? What's potentially on the the table for for new contracts, new selling agreements going forward for NRLX? Yeah, look, there, there hasn't been any real offers so far. But one thing I would say, the discussions have all been positive. They've all all sounded good for the stakeholders and. I'm confident that we'll be in a position to uh, to do a deal. And are agents likely to to see a, a change in yard fees? I mean, that was a sticking point that you had with uh, Richmond Valley Council's new selling agreement. So up until one point, hopefully that's not the case. We haven't haven't got down to the nitty gritty, as I said, but hopefully that's not the case. And and if it is, I hope it's to a very minimal minimal uh, standard rather than what we were looking at. Are you hoping that agents will retain delivery of the stock uh, once they're sold? Yeah, I guess that'll that'll depend what the proposal looks like. It's it's obviously was a big sticking point when council were looking at taking over management. Um, at this stage, we'll just see what they come back with and whether it, whether we think it's the right fit for our clients or not. 
And do they take the delivery of stock at other yards that they operate? Yes, they do. So given that experience, that track record, would you be happy for them to do that? Yeah, well, look, that's that's probably what is a, a definite difference between them and, and the council managing delivery, that these guys are cattle people and they do know stock. So I guess that does change the, change the attitude from our perspective. So do you think this is a, a good outcome for both agents and producers, I guess, as well as, you know, local council and the general community? Look, I guess time will, will be the answer to that question. I, I think it's um, something definitely needed to happen. We didn't need one more day without without knowing where we were going as far as producers and truck drivers and buyers. It, it needed to, you know, needed to come to an head and get back into action, so... I think time will be the teller of that story, but I'm confident that it's uh, that it's going to work out. And how long do you think it will take to finalise negotiations and get back in the yards and start selling again? Look, I think the uh, the general attitude is that we hope the first of February is D Day. If, if it all works out, we'll we'll be back selling on the first of February. So you're looking forward to having some big wiener sales through NRLX in February, March. Yeah, we're always keen to sell them, so we're, we're keen to sink our teeth into it and get into it. Andrew Somerville is the president of the Casino Auctioneers Association and sales will continue at the Lismore sale yards until then, with the first sale back next Wednesday, the 10th of January. It's seven minutes to one. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Mining billionaires Andrew and Nicola Forrest have increased their stake in Australia's largest cattle company, AACO. The company's investment, uh, the the couple's investment company, Tatarang, has uh, been slowly buying into AACO over the last few years, with its shareholding reaching just over 19% this week. Tim Faulkner is from agricultural investment firm Kidder Williams. He says Tatarang is nearing the takeover threshold of 20%. They've been building their stake gradually over time and more recently in the last couple of days they've increased from approximately 18.5% to 19.5%. So they're very close to the 19.9% maximum threshold um, in Australia where thereafter that if they are going to continue buying shares they'll have to either creep which is a slow acquisition of um, up to 3% every six months or, or make a takeover offer. Yeah, so how significant is it that the Tatarang is now right on that threshold? Well, I think it's, um, it, it is significant, but I don't want to overplay it because um, he has been building his stake over time and, and the recent acquisition is only of another 1%, so it's most likely that um, they were approached, those, that, that line was on the market and, and they decided to, to take it just to continue to build their um, stake in the company, which... Um, they've made very clear that they see value in as, as part of their strategy of um, building a portfolio of, of large-scale Australian agricultural assets. Yeah, and do you have any more insight into yeah, what exactly Tatarang and the forests see in a company like AACO? Well, obviously, it's one of Australia's um, largest agricultural assets. Um, so for somebody like um, Tui, who has 
um, a, a strategy of, of building a portfolio in Australian agriculture. Um, it's an obvious one for, for him to invest in. Um, he's got funds that he he's deploying in the sector, and, and this allows him to to do that. Um, more broadly, I think uh, I don't know what their it's particularly what their strategy is, but um, oftentimes um, ASX listed agricultural assets um, like AACO, which are an aggregation of a, of a number of um, high quality properties, attract interest from people like Twiggy, who think, well, it's trading at a discount to its net tangible asset um, backing. Um, that's because it's an aggregation of, of properties and it's managed by a large corporate, which has a lot of um, corporate overheads attaching to that. Um, and over time, um, as, the, as the nature of the business progresses and its shareholders, and Joe Lewis is there through Tavistock with over 51%, he, he may think that um, there is an opportunity that, um, you know, in the medium to long-term future that, um, that, that Joe um, may move on and, and um, you, you may be able to break um, AACO up and, and realise that discount um, that, that currently applies as a, as a listed company. AACO hasn't paid a dividend to its shareholders for about 15 years or so. Do you think that would be something that would concern the forests? No, I, I don't. I mean, um, the, the fact that Twiggy's in, increasing his um, his stake in the company um, tells me that it tells me that it's not. Um, I, I think he he knows um, agricultural assets very well. Um, these are assets that appreciate over time. It's uh, an investment in land rather than an investment in the, the operating business that's going to pay a dividend. He has a very long time horizon, and, and he's got the funds to to deploy in these types of businesses. At what point, if the investment did increase, would Tatarang be able to put a director on the board? Well, that, that's a, a matter for, for Tatarang and, and AACO. Um, he, he's at a level now where um, there are many companies um, that, uh, that would see that it's appropriate for, the, for them to have a, a director on the board, um, but that's, that's really a matter between the, the shareholder and, and the rest of the board. Tatarang, of course, recently bought the iconic Australian hat brand, Akubra, do you think this investment is in line with that uh, their desire to own iconic, iconic Australian brands? Uh, certainly, Dan. I mean, this is one of the most iconic um, Australian companies. It's been around for a very long time. Um, it's an aggregation of, of a number of iconic Australian stations. Um, so you know, it, it's absolutely consistent with their broader strategy. Tim Fortner is director of Kidder Williams. who is speaking there to Dan Fitzgerald. Uh, the Country Hour has contacted Tatarang for comment, but we haven't received a response. When asked about investing in AACO last year, Tatarang's chief investment officer said Tatarang is committed to investing in Australian businesses and brands that showcase the best of our country to the world and supporting local jobs. Our investment in AACO is part of this commitment. This is a long-term investment for Tatarang. It's coming up to uh, two minutes to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Shortly we'll have some market information, but before we do that, threats to the safety of merchant vessels travelling through the Red Sea is likely to cause delays to freight movements around the world, including Australia and our exports. Houthi militants have been attacking vessels in the busy shipping lane since November. Australia has joined the US and UK governments, calling for an immediate end to the attacks and the release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. 
Paul Vazali is the director of Freight and Freight and Trade Alliance uh, in Australia, and he spoke to Sally Sarr about what impact the crisis is having on Australian shipping. In terms of containerised trade, so bringing virtually all goods from you know your food products through to machinery and uh, and other things, um, we're, we're probably importing about 10 to 15% of containerised trade from uh, origins of Europe and Mediterranean ports, so it's significant. Um, but I think the, the bigger thing is, and we saw this during COVID as well, um, how small our world is now mm. and an impact in one part of the world does have a knock-on effect elsewhere. It's going to draw in uh, vessel capacity and vessel equipment as well, the, the actual sea freight containers. They'll be tied up in longer voyages um, as many of the shipping lines now have um, have made the decision that they're going to, rather than wait outside the Red Sea and, and make a decision there, they actually are transiting now through around the Cape of Good Hope. Mm. Um, so that's adding an extra 10 to 14 days sailing time. So um, I think what we're going to see, an immediate thing that you will see if you are importing your leather lounges or your cheeses or these things, a minimum you're going to have that extended delay, um, but you will have increased costs. There'll be surcharges put in for the extra fuel required, and we're seeing um, other fees as well and, and increased freight rates. Um, so uh, importers and exporters will definitely be feeling the impact of it, um, but with the alternate route of going around the Cape of Good Hope, um, there is an alternate path. We certainly learned, as, as you were rightly saying, Paul, during COVID, the effect of that knock-on and just how long it can go on in the supply chain with not only vessels but containers uh, themselves, that was really a, a big lesson at that time. Look, it was. Um, and look, you know, again, a credit in this instance to the Victorian government. Um, they put in a mechanism in place to deal with such crisis um, following COVID. I don't think they expected... Uh, that they would be enacting it so quickly. But combined with um, the ongoing industrial action that we're experiencing at our wharves um, and and other supply chain factors, the Victorian government has actually enacted a, a crisis situation. And, um, in fact, we've got an, the first official meeting of that group this afternoon. We need similar responses around the country and, and potentially, while the federal government has a limited uh, ability to... Um, you know, to manage the outcomes in the Red Sea, um, they there are some domestic issues here that can be addressed and would ease a lot of the pressure on international trade. So that meeting's happening this afternoon. What are some of the really practical things that will be discussed to get things moving and try and make the best of this situation? Look, I think for starters, it's just clear and accurate information. Um, we're seeing at the moment, because of the disruption to international shipping schedules, we're seeing regularly now that the, the shipping lines um, are bypassing ports. So they, you know, if they're running behind, they might, for example, bypass Sydney and discharge cargo in Melbourne. Um, they will also do quite often what they call a cut and run. So they might get rid of their import containers, but rather than waiting a port, particularly with the disruption with the industrial action, um, they won't necessarily take the export cargo and that leaves cargo stranded at our wharves. So if nothing else, we're trying to bring the stakeholders together so we've got some clear communication so importers and exporters can make some uh, pragmatic decisions on how they do trade. Mm. And that's important to remember. It's not just affecting the importers. The exporters are going to get hit by the knock-on as well, Paul. Look, I, I would say the exporters are feeling it 
even harder at the moment. Like I said, the, we, we've got a situation now where we've got a lot of export commodities being held up at the wharves because there's no vessels there to necessarily take them. Mm. Um, and and again, you look at the impacts there, a lot of our product is high volume and low value. So any increase of cost, you know, even if it's a few hundred dollars per container, that mm. has a massive impact on our regional communities. Paul Zalai is the Director of Freight and Trade Alliance Australia, and he was talking there to Sally Sara. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. It's three minutes past one. Shortly we'll be heading back to the cricket. Before we do that, let's uh, go to markets. Did I see three minutes to one? It's old habits die hard, don't they? It's three minutes past one. Let's go to Wagga Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. The recent rainfall has injected renewed energy into the lamb market, prompting robust bidding from buyers eager to secure their share in a smaller offering of 20,000 lambs and 10,000 sheep. Despite not all major export or domestic processes being in operation, prices saw a significant surge in the opening market. On average, prices experienced an increase of $25 to $40, particularly as well-finished, neat, shorn lambs fetching premium rates. Trade lambs reached a peak of 190 while heavier trade lambs 24 to 26 range commanded prices right up to $216, averaging 830 cents a kilogram carcass weight. Lambs in the 26 to 30 category sold from 216 to 244, and those exceeding 30 kilos carcass weight reached a high price of 255. Light lambs also took centre stage with rates ranging from 108 to 145. On the index for MLA. And that's the market information for today. The uh, the YAS sale has been uh, cancelled for today. You've been listening to The Country Hour. We're heading back to the cricket. Mm-hmm.